John Wesley said, Reading Christians are growing Christians. When Christians cease to read, they cease to grow. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer, and this is my lovely wife, Nikki. Hello. And this is the Religionless Christianity podcast. If you're new here, um, every week we do our best to help Christians navigate this secular world, um, try to help them digest the news and um, dive into the Bible a little bit when we can and help each other walk that narrow road. Yeah, I need help. We all need help. So, (laughs) um, yeah, we appreciate you being here. So today we're going to be talking about the the normal stuff. We're going to be diving into the news, um, taking a look at some news stories of the week, and then we are going to be giving our summary of the book uh, right here against Calvinism. So, you know, we're looking at just the arguments against Calvinism. I'm going to do my best to rein Nikki in from getting too off track here. I wrote um, notes on she, every page. She wrote but... an entire book inside a book. But <laughs> um, if, as we talked about before, our goal here is we're going to look at against Calvinism this week. Next week, we're going to be looking at for Calvinism. And then the third week, we're going to make our, you know, not sort of definitive stances on anything, but just you know, where do we stand? Which one sort of makes more sense to us? As we mentioned, Mm -hmm. we're beginning to lean a little more sort of Calvinistic in a sense in our views. Although after reading this book, you're like, what does that even mean? Right. (laughs) Um, And I'm fine with that. I've told you guys plenty of times. I don't even know enough about what Calvinism is to even say I'm Calvinist. Right. So that's what we're going to be doing today. And then in the next couple of weeks going forward, um, I was going to attach another topic onto the end of this episode, but it would have just been really long. So we're actually just going to kind of have a special episode come out tomorrow uh, because I just want to share a message that I gave to the fellas at the jail. You guys know that I uh, lead a men's Bible study at the jail and I went there, happened to be on the 4th of July, which was awesome. And you know, just talk with them about something that I think is really important for us as believers, plus being American, something that we have to adhere to. Um, it's going to be kind of on morals and virtues. So if you're looking at the board behind us, Second Peter 1.5, uh, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtues. So that'll be coming out tomorrow. The other stuff we're going to talk about today. But before we get to all of that, is there anything you would like to say? I just want to congratulate our friends, uh, David and Emma, uh, getting married today. And today is also our friend's uh, son's birthday. He's turned one. So happy birthday, Owen. Happy birthday, <laughs> Owen. Yeah, and our, um, just pray for a guinea pig. So I think I <laughs> prayed for her before. <laughs> the same one. I think it's so hot here and humid. She just can't handle it, even in the air-conditioned house. Because we had the cage over by the back door that's opening and closing a lot, and I think it's just too much for her. She's, like, drastically losing weight, drinking water constantly. Now I realize that's why she's been drinking water so much, like, the past maybe four or five months. I'm like, she's eating fine, great appetite. Like, she's not sick. She's just losing weight, and I think it is just the heat, the humidity. So anyway, I thought about that last night and um, 
moved the cage. And so I weighed her and she has gained, you go by grams with guinea pigs. She's gained 10 grams back. So that's really good. <laughs> so if you guys have compassion for rodents, <laughs> I'm happy about it. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. You probably love pumpkin more than Marshall. So you have to be. <laughs> I do. I'm told I'm a guinea pig fan. I don't really do anything with them, but that's why I like them. They're just there. They eat grass. They're but pumpkin, she's our correction pig. She bullies all the other guinea pigs around, which is nice. <laughs> so I appreciate her. So I did um, get another guinea pig though. Um Yes. It was like impulse buy. And I'm not a big impulse buyer. Like I'm not a big shopper, like I don't know. I just don't. You can tell them if I'm lying, but I don't buy expensive things a lot. So I did spend more than I thought. I didn't know long-haired guinea pigs cost more than short-haired guinea pigs, but I had already set my heart on her. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I came home. Oh man, we got to get like a picture on here of this guinea pig. She well, is so nothing's cute. Nothing's better than an <laughs> impulse buy that gives you a six to seven year commitment. You know, this whole guinea pig thing, we're getting off track here, wildly. <laughs> but this started with like a random funny birthday present for our daughter six years ago, basically. Like, yeah, oh, she might like guinea pigs. Now, here we are with five guinea pigs later. One's dead. Impulse buys. Oh, that was like three years ago. Goodness gracious. So, yeah, anyways. Pray for the pig. Pray for us. Just, yeah, pray thank you. Pray for Nikki's lack no. of impulse control. So... <laughs> <laughs> Last prayer here. Um, I think I've asked you guys to pray for a young man named Josiah. It, he's just gotten out of jail and um, grew up in a Christian family. He's trying to get his life back on track. He just got into a rehab facility. It's a one-year rehab facility. So he's pretty uh, excited about that. I think I'd mentioned to you guys, or maybe I did, he had had his hand cut really bad. He thought the tendons were severed. Um, turned out they weren't severed and he's regaining mm. um, strength and movement in his hand again. So just pray that God, you know, keeps him close, doesn't let him wander back into drugs and yeah. destructive lifestyles and all that. So that's um, a bigger prayer request than praying for our guinea pig. <laughs> yes, yes, it's slightly more important than the guinea pig. But uh, you got to know about the funny things in our life too. Like it's just, there's something about us, the guinea pig yeah, podcast. Yeah, funny. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyways, um, as always, Team Cardinal, Cardinal Contingency Solutions, want to make sure we get their plug in there. Um, they're very important. <laughs> what they offer is very important in today's world. Mm -hmm. um, messaging, counter-messaging, counter-exploitation training. Um, you know, you don't have to be over in Russia trying to deal with, you know, some Russian agents. Just even here, everyone's got a cell phone, you know, exploiters can be everywhere, you know, with the internet and, you know, sort of the way you can just edit videos to make people, you know, seem mm -hmm. like they're saying what you want them to say. It's really important to know how to control your messaging, um, even for just, you know, church people. I mean, they're coming for us. We've talked on this show plenty of times that the LGBTQ community is coming for us. The racism community is coming for us. So if they can get you to slip up in what you're saying, to slightly take you out of context in what you're saying, that's just more fuel that they can throw on the fire. So 
give Cardinal a, uh, a call. See how they can help you. Uh, I'm sure they can. I think it'll be beneficial for you. And then also, we are proud members of the Christian podcast community. Uh, they actually just uh, introduced the new podcast. I think it's the newest one we have here. It's Theo Bros. They just got picked up, I think, this week. Um, interviews, theology, all sorts of stuff Christian-related. And that's all in addition to the normal 55 to 60 podcasts that we have on here. So I didn't know how often someone new hopped on added. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be sort of sporadic. You know, they obviously have to request um, getting picked up on Christian podcast community. And then the process can take a couple of weeks. So, you know, they may, it seemed like when we first got on, there was like two or three fairly mm-hmm. quickly. And then... I haven't seen another one until these guys in maybe a month and a half, two mm-hmm. months. So it can be sporadic, but they're all good podcasts, all godly people. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're not just the normal, you know, through the Bible in a year with Father Mike or whatever, it's a, <laughs> you know, Christian podcast that is everywhere for some Similar reason. Similar topics so, that we talk about too. Yeah. yeah. So go give that a listen. And um, yeah. Also, sorry, you can see we got a microphone here. We're trying to fix the audio here. We are recording in a cramped little room in a cramped little townhouse. Thank you, Lord, for our townhouse. But we're doing the best we can trying to figure out new solutions to make the audio better here. So if this doesn't work, expect it to be different next time you watch us or listen to us. So um, the first news article that we have here today, if you want to... Oh, you know what? We almost forgot. It's been so long since we've done the news. Let's do this appropriately. Oh, man. Because it is warranted this week. All right. Gird yourself. Prepare yourself as we get ready to wade through the murky swamp in our trek, our weekly trek through the valley of the shadow of death as we take a look at the news of the week. (laughs) It is murky. (laughs) It is murky this week. And the first story, if you want to read that headline, honey. Uh, It says, advisory panel, no more Canadian military chaplains who believe in conversion, male leadership. Yep. And then just read these two paragraphs. The panel um, made up of four veterans said the military should stop hiring chaplains who believe that polytheists should be converted to Christianity or who think church leadership should be restricted to men. The defense team uh, cannot justify hiring representatives of organizations who marginalize certain people or categorically refuse them a position of leadership. These faiths, dogmas, and practices conflict with the uh, commitment of the defense team to value equality and inclusivity at every level of the workplace. Yep. Those might be the uh, two words written on the tombstone of Western society. Equality and inclusivity. But um, so here you go. You know, uh, just a few months ago, we mentioned Canada as well. And they had a law that was banning or really criminalizing conversion Mm -hmm. therapy. You guys remember that? I think it was their C4 bill. And um, basically, they were banning anyone that was sort of seeking this Christian counseling or religious counseling, really, you know, rather than just sort of running full speed ahead into gender transitioning. If you're trying to get 
a religious understanding of who you are, that's not allowed in Canada. Um, and not just Canada. So it's illegal now in Canada, but President Biden, he actually just signed an executive order doing the exact same thing. So let Yikes. me see if I can pull this up. Enhance equality for families. My order, my order will use the full force of the federal government to prevent inhumane practices of conversion therapy. This is the first time. This is the first time the federal government is leaving a coordinated response against this dangerous, discredited practice. Yeah. Dangerous. Dangerous and inhumane. <laughs> yeah, inhumane. Um, and that's our uh, Catholic, so we're told, president. Uh, sure. You know, I posted on Twitter. I think <laughs> this is like, I wonder what Pope Francis has to say. Uh, I'm sure he's just about to get on the case of, you know, checking out our Catholic president who is getting ready to sign executive orders as we talk to or as we speak to um, ensure abortion is legal throughout the country and they can put the federal government's dollars behind it. So we're looking to you, Pope Francis. What are you going to do? Um, Quality and rights for people to be wicked, but parents don't have a right to call their child the gender they were born as. Well, that's inhumane, don't you know? But um, so Canada, you know, in there, we would call a dear leader, uh, Justin Trudeau, Fidel Trudeau, Justin Castro, whatever you want to call him. Um, he is who our politicians want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, that's who they want to emulate. So really, Canada is kind of a good, um, it's kind of a good indicator of what future Democrat policies in this country mm-hmm. are going to be yep. um, because there's a few more roadblocks in America to just institute crazy satanic antichrist policies in this country. Uh, I mean, they're finding ways around them, obviously, but it's a little bit slower than in Canada. So yeah, well, we just see what Canada's doing and we have time to pray and <laughs> yeah i mean normally we have time Wait. to wring our hands and make a few twitter posts before the republican party just rolls over like and lets them do whatever they want that wave coming like how are we stopping it can we stop it we certainly have to and that's what we're going to discuss tomorrow um but mm-hmm. the author does note here he says uh where is it the author noted though how many lgbtq people, indigenous people, and women could speak of traumatic religious experiences. And they argued that some religious groups just aren't compatible with Canada's military commitment to diversity. Um, And then he says right down here, the military does not track the religious affiliation of its members. Right. Don't believe that. But (laughs) the U.S. does. Uh, We do track the religious affiliation. We wear it on our dog tags. The second you go into basic training, you tell them what religion you are. You don't have to identify it, but if you are religious, you will tell them and they'll stamp it on your dog tags. And then even more recently, um, if you've declined the vaccine on religious grounds, they know what religion you are and they're Mm -hmm. tracking that. So our country knows who's part of these inhumane religions um, (laughs) that seek conversion therapy and male male leadership somehow is think about how insane that is male leadership is incompatible with military service 
<laughs> are you kidding me? Um, that yeah. is crazy. Gosh. Yeah. Heaven help us if anybody that's a real threat decides uh, they've had enough of America's guff. So uh, what else does he say down here? There's a couple other quotes that I wanted to pull from here. This entire article, please go and read it. It's eye-watering. Um, so maybe don't read it. Just listen to what I have to say and then um, get on your knees. I can't find it. But he says, uh, this guy Jones said, to read the report's assumption that monotheistic faith are, are faith groups that are somehow not for inclusion or accommodating or loving, hmm. that they're somehow intolerant and go out of their way to discriminate. Wow. So that's what they think of in Canada, and I would assume in our mm -hmm. national leadership as well. When they think of Christianity, um, or probably by extension, Islam, although they're probably much less likely to claim Islam because that takes yeah. some cojones, um, it's easy to trash Christianity. Islam, you got to be uh, gutsy to do that. But I'm assuming in a dark, quiet room, they would confess that. But they think that we are somehow intolerant and unloving. And, you know, when I read that, I thought, this is what it looks like when you call evil good and good evil. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in Canada here, which is ironic, they can discriminate against Christians because they say Christians discriminate against others. So Christian discrimination is bad. Canadian discrimination is good somehow. This makes sense to them somehow. They can't be tolerant. So yep. uh, very dangerous. And then the last quote that I have here, he says, uh, I don't think I can find it. He says, the secularization of Canada is making chaplaincy harder. Many Protestants in the military struggle to talk about their faith. And I would mm. tell you again, the same can be said of America. Um, yeah. Being an outspoken, faithful person is you're walking on eggshells in America. Um, <sighs> again, because this, this idea of a traditional Christian faith or whatever, Jewish faith, Muslim faith is butting up against America's sort of faith of the hour, which is secular humanism. And yeah. that's the religion that they've sort of tied themselves to. And anything that contradicts or speaks ill of secular humanism is not to be tolerated. That's, you know, you can discriminate against that all you want. But again, if you were to go up and say, listen, I'm sorry, like lying is kind of a problem with my faith. I don't have any problem with who you are as a person if you want to be transgendered, but I can't call you you know, she, when I know that you're a I man, I don't understand I it. Cause when we were talking, or intolerant. We were, sorry. <laughs> when we were watching the, what is a woman the other night we watched it again and we let the kids watch it. I mean, we skipped over some parts, but, um, just all these people that are like, well, whatever is truth for you, if that's your reality, then sure. I'm fine with that. I'll accept that. I'll go along with it. But okay. Well, Christianity is our reality but they're really not fine with it. If you go up to someone and you tell them they're a sinner and they're on their way to hell, are they going to say, yeah, sure. If that's your reality, if that's your truth. Yeah. I'll go along with it. No, they won't. 
No, and again, this is the theory of stupidity. They've been given a line to think, and that's all they need to think about, which if you haven't seen the What is a Woman documentary, it, yeah, I mean, it's really eye-opening to think about just how little Americans care to think. And again, this is a small subset, I get it, in the documentary, but like, yeah, they ask these people, like, what is a woman? And you can see them like, I know what I should say, but I'll just say, I don't know. And I'll just say, you know, I don't care. Who doesn't care? Like, what kind of person just goes, I don't care what truth is. Just do whatevs, right? Like, you should care. Your brain should care. Like, it's just very bizarre. But um, I do bring this story up because, you know, I would assume that the same is coming to America. And I think the same is coming to America's military very soon unless we push back, you know. And just as a nation, a citizenry, unless we all sort of decide that our religion is more important than our politics, this is coming here. Um, Because I think for a lot of Americans, even those that would call themselves religious, they put far more value and far more hope in their political affiliation and in their Mm -hmm. politicians than they do in their church, church leaders, and even in their so-called deities. Um, Way more hope. Oh, man. If the Republicans can win back the House and the Senate in 2022, then things will do what? Look like they have for the last 50 years when we've had Republicans in the House and the Senate. Like, they're not your hope. I think our, we, our churches have just been weakened. Oh, yeah. Like, they're just too easy to um, have their minds swayed and, you know, they just hear what they want to hear. We don't have a... Like we said before, the church doesn't have a backbone. It's been weakened. So our country, founded on Christian principles, constitution, um, that's where you attack it. You attack it at that foundation. And we can see that's true. So our yeah. hope, like you said, isn't in any politician, isn't any president. We need to strengthen the church. You can't fix something at the top if the foundation is crumbling. That is not our hope. Yeah. Like you can't have morality even in your country. This lie that like, you know, the walk in love lie. Oh, just, you know, roll over and let them just crush our religion and silence us because we got to walk in love, don't you know? Instead of being like, I will walk in love until it butts up with my faith in my God. And then there's a hard line in the sand, but we don't have a hard line anywhere. Well, that's why we don't have really, well, persecution obviously is coming, but I mean, we're weak. <laughs> How are we going to stand in it? Like, good luck. We haven't had any persecution, but I mean, honestly, to our detriment, we've. Well, and that's why I think COVID was so important. You know, as bad as it was, it was very important to illuminate who is going to stand and who isn't. And that's why we would really encourage you that if you had a church and a pastor and church leadership that didn't stand, Man, I don't know, I'd either be talking to them or I might be looking to find someone who did. Because, you know, if all it took was a little bit of strong arming from, you know, Francis Collins and Tim Keller and Rick Warren being like, yeah, you should really close your doors. And you're like, good enough. Shut them. Close the doors. Then, you know, what are you going to do when they really start, you know, coming and trying to drag people out of your building? And, you know, you're just going to fold. So I think it's important. Our politicians, they want to do what Canada is doing. I feel very certain about that. So we need to speak out. 
you know, not that we should turn a blind eye to politics. That's the world we live in. And Christians should be involved in politics and striving to get the yeah. best, you know, godly, most fearless men and women in those, you know, positions. But we can't rest all of our hopes there. They're going to disappoint us. Right, They're just right. humans and they've got their own interests to serve by and large. So um, the church needs to be the driver here. Um, and you need to be the driver. So, and just sort of in case, maybe from a very, um, you know, maybe easily overlooked uh, news story, one that people might even say, well, good, he should have been arrested. I thought, well, here's a little bit of Christian persecution. So uh, this story here, you want to read that headline? Seattle police arrest street preacher for reading the Bible. Risk to public safety. Yep. Wow. Risk to public safety. You want to just read that? <laughs> uh, Seattle police arrested a street preacher on charges of being a risk to public safety for reading his Bible aloud at a public park near an LGBT pride event. But if the pride event wasn't going on, then it wouldn't have been a public safety issue. Right. But this is Seattle, where probably every day is a pride I was event. Say you that. Know? So who knows? But. <laughs> You know, this, I think, again, an easily overlooked story. Nobody likes street preachers, right? Ah, those street preachers, you know, fire and brimstone. I've talked to Nikki and my, you know, I'm a fan of street preachers. I wouldn't do it myself, but I, you know, I appreciate their, uh, their boldness to just go out there. But this guy, um, you know, he doesn't sound like, at least in here, he was being over the top. But I think why this story really stood out to me is you know what they say here, he was arrested for reading the Bible um, aloud near an LGBT pride event. So really, where our sort of traditional or Christian religion sort of confronts this American religion of secular humanism, um, we're seeing that it's not going to be tolerated, at least in these liberal areas, which our country has a lot of areas that are just like this. Um, and then not to mention, and this is a bigger frustration for me, these police, because he says in here, um, let's see if I can pull it up. Yeah, right down here, he says the SPD, this is a cop or whatever, or no, this guy, the preacher saying the SPD has enough resources to send 10 police officers to arrest a preacher reading his Bible in a public park because it's such a horrible crime now. Um, and you know, these police that are supposed to be sort of protecting and defending, that's what we assume cops are. And we like cops on this show. We're very pro-cop here. But, man, we see this far too often, um, not just in this case of arresting. But, I mean, over the last two years, how many stories did we see of cops that are, like, arresting people for not having a mask on their face or these school board meetings? And they're, like, throwing people to the ground and, you know, physically assaulting them to arrest them because they, you know, wouldn't wear a mask to a school board meeting. And you're like, man, you guys are making it real hard. And that's just from our side, who's very pro-cop. Again, you could say the same thing. And we talked about this in the theology of stupidity. The uh, African-American crowd, the more BLM folks, they might be saying, well, yeah, you think that's bad. What about police brutality? Sure, I may disagree with you, but we're looking at the same thing and seeing a problem, right? just from different sides of the aisle. So mm -hmm. it's just the cops here are a big problem because all it takes is just some, you know, crazy secular politician to be like, 
go and arrest all the Bible preachers. And you're like, yes, ma'am. I bet all those cops were just already there. <laughs> like they knew, you know, something was going to happen. There's always people who I'm show sure. up to those, um, you know, to speak against it. No, yeah. I think they, he might not have been the only preacher. There could have been others there. I mean, it just seems like who goes that alone? <laughs> I don't know. That's what I was thinking. Well, again, I appreciate him, but... He does go on in here and he says, uh, or the article says, the preacher also posted a video showing a protester seizing his Bibles and ripping pages out, shouting, get the bleep out of here. Get your holy water off my ovaries. Really smart. A um, couple more curse words. Another person shouted at him saying, forget your imaginary fairy in the sky. Meineke said he saw a bunch of naked people walking around over here, not even 200 feet away. Naked grown men around little children. At the parade. Just completely naked. At the naked. parade. Yep. And then he says, last weekend, Menneke was also arrested during a Roe v. Wade protest. Um, far left extremists ripped up his Bibles and assaulted him, but they got away. What does being gay and walking around naked have to do with each other? Like, just because you're gay doesn't give you the right for indecent exposure. Of course it does, because if you don't let grown people groom and have sex with young children, then you're a hater, don't you know? That's secular humanism, because we've all told you, and many people have, pedophilia is around the corner. They're going to be striving harder and harder for this. But um, yeah, it's interesting, right? He says naked people are walking around. People are running up to him, ripping up his stuff, throwing it out, cursing at him. He's just reading the Bible. So why would he be it's arrested, just right? so demonic. It is demonic, and you can see... You know, it's almost like if you want to know what hell sounds like, just watch like these Roe versus Wade protests and the demons know, come out. Yeah, the demons that are shrieking are probably the yeah. same demons you'll hear down in hell. They but hate the truth. You know, you could very easily see this story being uh, played out in New York, L.A., Chicago, mm -hmm. Washington, D.C. I mean, a bunch of different cities where you could read this and go, yep, makes sense. San Francisco, I mean, pretty much anywhere in California. So, uh, you know, you could write it off as insignificant, inconsequential. It's just a street preacher. None of us like street preachers. Um, but I think we've been writing this sort of stuff off for a very long time. And it's escalating. And um, that's a problem that we've allowed this stuff to just sort of go and like, ah, you know, whatever. It's just yeah. one dude over there, right? So I'd encourage you to not let it go anymore. I mean, not to go out there and be physically confrontational, but like, yeah, we have a voice. You know, it's not just, you know, the libs of TikTok or whatever that get to scream and lash out at every politician and business until they bend their knee. If we're supposedly 60 to 70% of the population in this country, we should be doing this too. Yeah. Where's hey, everybody man. at? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, maybe we don't let grown men and women walk around naked next to children. Maybe that's unacceptable. You know, instead of just like wringing our hands and being like, Lord, come now. Yeah. yeah, we want him to come now. But until he does, why not give our children a chance to not be groomed into sexually immoral lifestyles that send them to hell? Instead of just being like, oh, hope this doesn't happen here. Yeah. Well, let's do something about it then. Like we're not helpless. Oh, it's so frustrating. Walk in love. Judge not lest ye be judged, don't you know? Oh, man. I can't stop thinking about what I would do if I'm I saw that. I'm less angry about 
the naked men and women walking around than I am about Christians that just sit in a corner shaking. Ooh. <laughs> oh my, what do you, don't do that. What'd you say? Nothing. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, sir. Like, ah, man. So frustrating. What would you do if you saw naked grown men? You were like trying to have a fun time with your kids downtown and there's just a oh, random parade going on. If would you I was there with them? my kids, I would probably need prayers of repentance laid <laughs> over me. Um, I've never seen Spencer be violent. Like, I just can't. Yeah, I can't picture him going and confronting. It'd be pretty someone. weird to beat up a naked grown man. <laughs> I mean, all that. you got to do is kick him. <laughs> no, it's it would be there and you easy. Know. But again, <laughs> we wouldn't put ourselves hopefully in that situation. But man, we got to just get over this you whole You can't like, do that because then you'll be... You're going to like, you know, you don't want to paint the picture that Christians are violent. Like that'd be all over the news. If you got violent, like you're just angry and want to, but you can go over there and rip up their banners. They're allowed to come rip up our Bibles. We are to be peacemakers. I know. But I did also, you know, I was, I think on our, one of our nights going, uh, coming back from the jail ministry, me and the guy I was with, um, I was talking you know, we were talking about Uriah and David, and I was like, man, I would have loved to have been around David and his mighty men. Like, these are the greatest warriors in Israel. They killed hundreds, if not thousands, but they were all godly men. And I was like, what would it have been like? I guarantee you they weren't walking around. They were probably pretty rough, probably talked pretty gruff. They were warriors, like not our fake warriors that we have in this country <laughs> now that are waving pride flags. They were real warriors, right? Like they sent Uriah to the front line by himself. And he didn't just get like laid out and killed in a second. He probably fought him off for a little while. Like hmm. what would it have been like to be around real warriors, like spiritual and physical warriors? Man, that would have been nice. Um, we need more of them. We're to be peacemakers, but it doesn't mean we just got to lay down and be, you know, something for the satanic left to just roll over in this country all right now that my blood's boiling let's move on to the next story sorry um, i was just thinking about jesus flipping tables over I'm like how are we to be like jesus sorry <laughs> i know you want to no, move on <laughs> i don't want to move on i really just want to talk about this every episode until our show gets uh oh. nobody listening to it anymore but we are i mean and obviously jesus's righteous anger gets misused all the time yeah and yeah. What we look like angry is very unlikely to look like Jesus. Because keep in mind, the children didn't leave when Jesus was angry. <laughs> they weren't he flipped scared. the tables yeah. over <laughs> and they weren't scared. They sat there and like shouted, you know, praises to him when he was done. So his anger looks completely different. But he didn't just stand by and go, what are they doing selling in the temple? Oh, Lord, that's not right. Oh, gosh. And they're like, well, should we say something? Oh, no, don't say anything now. That would be disrespectful, don't you know? No. I mean, he called them the Pharisees broods of vipers, right? He called them Satan's children. Like, he was quite matter of fact with how he felt. But for us, man, we just can't seem to get there. Uh, and we need to get there. Else, And again. Well, he spoke the truth. Um, the world would say that was not in love. It hurt their feelings. Jesus would not be allowed to serve in Canada's military. I promise you that. <laughs> there is no way. And I don't know if our military would allow Jesus to be a chaplain <laughs> anymore. He was too unloving, too inclusive. He liked male headship, and that's not allowed. So 
Um, we have one last news story here before we get into our book discussion. And uh, this is, uh, let me see. Oh, yeah, you made some notes here. So do you want to just read this headline real quick? Oh, a list of companies paying for abortion travel. Yeah, this is a cool article um, <clears throat> by Christianity or the Christian Post. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't think Christianity Today would dare run a story like this. Uh, I don't think so. Today's Christianity, you know, might tell you to go and show Disney Plus some love with your money and encourage them to give up their groomer ways. Who knows? Um, but. So I had this article up here because I thought, you know, if you're wondering what you can do against this tide of secular humanism and radical materialism that we find ourselves in here in America, this is something you can do. Um, you can find out what companies uh, hate the values that you claim to hold and you can stop doing business with them. I didn't um, look at this list yet. And this isn't probably oh a complete list of all the awful companies in the world, but it's a good starting point. You know, I don't know how many oh, there are, sure. 20 or 30 on here. All right. Um, and I'll just mention, we just did this this week. Um, I've had an Amazon uh, Visa credit card for a few years now. And we would always use it just throughout the years. You know, I'm in the military, so I would travel a lot. Whenever I traveled, I would use it. Whenever we bought stuff, you know, we shop on Amazon a lot and you would get 5% cash back. So we would use it the whole year. And then all of our rewards money at the end of the year, we would use for Christmas gifts. And we would usually get a decent amount of money back. So that's kind of why we used it. Um, but I actually just called and canceled my credit card this week and then jumped online and canceled my Prime membership, which is Amazon Instant Video is all we really had left because we had canceled Netflix already after the whole um, cuties. Whatever, the cuties you know, thing when they're promoting underage women dressed all... Uh, Children. Yeah, children, not even women. Just so we canceled that. Then we just canceled Prime Video and Amazon Prime is in its entirety this week. And then also, if you notice, if you check the show notes, I have stopped using Amazon affiliate links. So not that many people used them a lot, but I had Amazon affiliate links whenever we would link a book or something like that. And I've switched and I'm going to try to go back slowly through all the episodes where I can, but I'm starting to link through christianbooks.com. And here's the thing. It's harder, right? Amazon makes the world easier, getting stuff easier. But if you want to start stemming the tide of all this secular humanism, stop giving them your money. Yeah. You know, and what was great is when I canceled the visa card, it was just a 10 second conversation with a random guy on the phone, but he was like, do you mind me asking you why you canceled? And I got to tell him because Amazon's paying for their employees to go out of state and get abortions. And I don't want them to use my money to do that. Just simple. He may, you never forget it, but he may make note of it. And if Amazon had 50 million families in this country, call them up and go, yeah, cancel my prime, cancel my credit cards because I'm not paying for your abortions. They would probably go, Okay, well, maybe that doesn't work out for us very good. Um, yeah, you can control how they use their money with your money. Yeah, and again, if 60 to 70% of this country is supposedly Christian, 
when Disney Plus comes out and says, yeah, we want to groom your children. That's kind of what we're into. We could put a stop to that. I can't believe how many Christians keep telling me, get Disney Plus. And I'm like, do I really want to start this conversation with them? Like, (laughs) is letting your children get groomed into sexually immoral lifestyles worth it for the Mandalorian? First off, I'll say it again. And I've said it plenty of times. Star Wars is for tweeners. And Luke kissed his sister. So I don't even want to go down the road of Star Trek or Star Wars. Star Trek is a better show anyways. Let's just, all right. And we don't even, I, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> Let me know in the comments what you think. But yeah, you can't just simply, I mean, we can. We've been doing it for as long as we've been in this country, just completely ignoring it and being like, where else am I supposed to shop? It's Amazon, don't you know? And it's easy and it's free shipping. I get it. It's, I just ordered a bunch of books. I have them just sitting over there, a bunch of commentaries. Um, and they were cheaper on Amazon. There was free shipping and faster shipping on Amazon. Mm-hmm. But I bought them through christianbooks.com. It cost me about 10 bucks more and it took about a week to ship here. Yeah, it's harder. But at some point, you got to put your money where your mouth is. And I get that you can't do this entirely with every company under the sun because there's so many god-awful companies you know you can't do it everywhere you know i saw up here is walmart on there walmart was not on here oh, though they might they be but like are. you know microsoft's on here and apple's on here all right well at some point you have to use a computer right so you can only go yeah so far but you can still limit it where you can um so I would just encourage you, go check out the list. All the articles will be in the show notes um, like they normally are. But I would encourage you to go to look. And if you have the ability to not do business with these people, don't do business with them. But don't just stop. Send them a, an email. Call them. Send them a tweet or something and let them know like, hey, I'm not doing business with you because of this. They need and- to know why. Yeah. They yeah. need to know why or because again, if a hundred million people just stop doing business with whoever, you know, Amazon. Yeah, you're not gonna I mean they they're probably smart enough to get it, but if a hundred million people said we refuse to do business with a company that's sending people that to go kill so their babies. Amazing if it would did stop this. overnight. Um and just keep in mind, you know, the reason why a company like Amazon or Apple is They're trying to look like they're somehow progressive or they care for women's rights. And that may be the case. I don't know the inner workings of a man's mind, but I would tell you it's far more likely that the reason why they're offering to pay $4,000 to have a woman go and kill her baby is because that's far less expensive for a business. Mm. If you can just tell a girl, you know what? Take the weekend, go fly to California, murder your baby and be back by Monday. Here's four grand. That's way cheaper and easier to handle than you have a child that's another person on the company's insurance policy. Plus, you get, you know, 13 to whatever weeks of maternity leave. Right. Plus the sickness that might come with it, plus the child care, plus the, that's a whole lot of money and time. Whereas if you can just convince a woman to go murder a baby and get back to work, yeah, you look like a progressive hero. And just save some money in the long run. Like, that's even more dastardly than just really liking abortion, I think. That's just the height of the feminism mindset. Like, that's where it's led. Yeah. Just kill your baby. You might get a promotion out of it. Probably won't. But you may. Oh, my gosh. Right? (laughs) Like, it's awful. So, um, 
I would encourage you to look over this, see what you can do. Um, be okay with me. And here's the beautiful thing. Companies like Amazon have really made every other company step their game up. So if you want to buy electronics, um, Best Buy is a great place. They offer free shipping. They offer like two day shipping. They got a great return policy. There's places like Christian books, books a million. I mean, there's a lot of alternatives and Amazon and these companies have really made them up their game. It may not be quite to the level of Amazon, um, but even, you know, for like us, we canceled Amazon. So we don't have prime video. We went and got pure flicks. Um, it's 70 bucks a year. And again, you're not going to get blockbusters on there, but you have a, a streaming service that you can feel good just giving your kids the remote and walking away and trust that anything they're going to see on there is relatively okay. That for does to feel watch. better. Cause even on Amazon, the kids can watch previews for things we wouldn't want them to watch. And I'm like, no, you can't even watch the previews. Those are disgusting yeah. too. Like they get to see the options at least. And some of the, like the title, the image for the movie is something inappropriate to look at. I just, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> that's just too much. No. And that's the thing I for mean, them to see. at some point you got to be okay. Like, you got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and being like, man, this is not something that's going to be terribly easy or convenient, but for the sake of my faith, my family, my morals, my virtue, mm -hmm. I'm just going to do it. And I'm going to find a workaround, you know, uh, maybe I like to use Airbnbs. Well, there's a company called VRBO. They do much the same thing, much the same properties. So use VRBO, you know, whatever it happens to be. So mm -hmm. just consider it. Um, if you know of any companies as well that are companies we shouldn't do business with, please let us know in the comments. You know, we we realize we aren't super rich or wealthy, but we have money and we don't want to give it to people we don't like doing business with that don't share our values um, or at the very least are completely antithetical to yeah. our values. So do you have any last thoughts on any of the news topics we talked about? I always do. Well, let's move on. All right. So <laughs> again, we are review, uh, reviewing here the book. It's by Roger Olson. Again, there will be links in the show notes. That's to christianbooks.com where you can find this book. And um, I will just mention the christianbook.com affiliate links. So those work just the same as Amazon. It won't cost you a single penny more, but it will help me with a small commission. And you can buy anything on the store, any book on the store, whatever it is, a gift, and it'll pay us a small commission. But some of the links are wonky. So you may click a link and it'll take you there and it'll be like, the book you want isn't here. Just search for it and it'll be there. Um, the links, I'm still working out issues with the links. So, um, we just want to refocus sort of this whole conversation of for Calvinism and against Calvinism here. Um, so we're just going to try to give an incredibly simplified explanation um, that we realize nobody in either camp will be satisfied with. Um, both camps will feel justified in calling us idiots that take scripture out of context, like every Christian does on every debate that's ever been had in the history of the world. Um, but that's just what we're going to do. So the two views that we're looking at here, really in Christianity, you have kind of two views of salvation, 
Christian faith, right? You have the Calvinist view, which it really simply is just um, kind of, it rests heavily in God's sovereignty over who is saved and the salvation process. It's kind of the elect um, idea. And then Arminianism is sort of the counter to uh, Calvinism. And that really rests in man's free will in the salvation process. So mm-hmm. that's the very simplified, I get it, we're There's wrong. There's a lot of aspects There's a lot you can it. go into. But those, you know, are the two simplified uh, simplified explanations there. So I'd never heard the term Arminianism until I was learning about Calvinism. I was yeah. like, I'm Arminian? <laughs> There's a name for the way I believe. <laughs> yeah, you know, and again, we're just treading down this path here. So again, we're not trying to make any, you know, entrenched stance on where we stand today. That's why we wanted to read against Calvinism first. This is more of our faith tradition, what we grew mm-hmm. up in. Um, so again, we're using Against Calvinism by Roger Olson. And then for Calvinism, we'll be looking at next week. And I don't remember who wrote that, Michael Horton or something like that. Mm-hmm. Horton. Um, and then again, that final week, so two weeks from now, we'll kind of be given our overall thoughts. You know, what points we thought. So stuck. I can bring up every note. Oh, yeah. Kidding. And just so you know, we <laughs> didn't finish the book in its entirety. We have about 25 pages left that we didn't have time to get through. But I will, you know, if you can see on here, I don't know if I can show you. Nikki basically wrote a book inside a book um on every page so we made plenty of notes and mostly my notes are scripture right and we're not, not going to be able to get to even half of what we talked about or what we um what stood out to us in this book so again we encourage it we encourage everyone to not just be like i know what i know and there's nothing else to know ah be open read see what see what's yeah. out there you know don't be afraid of um thoughts and ideas you know, I learned a let lot. Let them strengthen your, you know, what strengthen your resolve, I guess. So, uh, my first big thought on this book is it's not what I thought it was going to be. You know, kind of when we got for Calvinism, for Calvinism and against Calvinism, we thought it was going to be kind of like a, almost like a verse to verse kind of joust of this is what Calvinists believe, but this is what Arminians believe, and it wasn't. You it know, is what it says. It is what it says. <laughs> it was basically most of the book was. Here's why Calvinists are wrong, which again, that's what the title implies. And we just assumed wrongly. So, um, and then also this book focuses very heavily on, they call it high Calvinism, which radical, I think is kind of a hyper Calvinism. Yeah. But they don't necessarily make that same correlation. So I don't know exactly. He never really spells out exactly what high Calvinism is, but to me, it sounds a lot like hyper Calvinism. He says he's he agrees with some points of Calvinism, but like maybe slightly different. So he's not like a hundred percent against every um, belief that would be considered Calvinist belief. Right. Yeah, and and he doesn't completely just come out and bash and trash Calvinism. He, you know, he tries to go through. And point out where he, you know, thinks it's right and where it's wrong. So mm-hmm. we just want to take to start out with, um, you know, what Calvinism is known for. Sort of their soteriology is tulip. Everyone knows tulip. You know, that's been in Christian circles for any 
amount of time really. So we just wanted to highlight what he says about Tulip by and large. Um, that's basically what it. And that's, yeah, what what he's that's what he's against by and large is the Tulip. Well, the three acronym, if you will, the three middle letters more so. Yeah. So he does, you know, we'll highlight in here the T and the P, which is total depravity and preservation or preservation of the saints. Perseverance. Perseverance. Well, so that's interesting. Or so is it too different? He doesn't really have a disagreement on either one of those points. He's fairly in agreement, but he does make note in there that some people call it preservation of the saints. Some call it perseverance of the saints. Okay. Largely yeah. the same thing. Um, and he doesn't have a real disagreement with either one of those. So, yeah, he kind of makes the point that like Arminianism and Calvinism sort of agrees on that point. That So do you want to say like, what is total depravity? What do they mean yeah, by that? Yeah, you want to tell them what total depravity is. Well, some people are very <laughs> different uh, opinion on what that means. Because there were some people discussing it, you know, on some reformed page. And I saw how divided they were on the definition. But total depravity is that we are completely unable to, to call on God. Um, we're completely dead in our sins. That's basically what it means. We're completely dead in our sins. Yeah, it takes the Holy Spirit to sort of lead us from death to life. You know, you can't like do it on your own, essentially. Lazarus so. coming forth. Um, he took no part. He's just a good example. He took yeah. no part in him being raised. <laughs> so that's the total depravity. That's the T in Tulip. And then the P, the preservation of the saints or the perseverance of the saints, whichever one you really want to say, is just essentially, you know, God won't lose any of his people, right? Whoever he saves, he will, um, you know, he will lead them unto salvation, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like he um, finishes the work he began. Yeah. It's his, his work. So, and again, he didn't really have a disagreement on either one of those points. Right. None um, of us can boast. We can't boast in our coming to Christ, and we can't boast in our persevering um, to the end. Right. So, the first point that he really had a disagreement on was the you, um, which is unconditional um, election, right? Unconditional election. Um, so he makes an argument that election, and I'll read it here from page 115 of this book. If you happen to buy it, that's where we, um, and there's a lot, you know, he kind of retreads the same ground a lot in this book, which is good. I mean, he makes his points, but he says down here, um, he's referencing a Calvinist um, author or theologian, if you will. He says, so it is with Botner's explanations. The same one used by most Calvinists, that God doesn't choose arbitrarily, but also doesn't choose based on anything special about the person he chooses. There is no third alternative. It has to be arbitrary if it's absolutely unconditional. So he's basically making the point that election, if it's um, completely um, unconditional, is illogical kind of thing. Like... Mm. It's either completely arbitrary or God has like a reason for why he's picking you. There is no third option. And if you're telling me it's completely unconditional, that doesn't make any sense. He's basically going, you, you, and like, got a good argument, right? That's I got a, lots of notes on that. Sorry. But I, I should wait for my argument. Right. But another. I, and again, so we have our own leanings, right? 
what we're trying to do here is point out what's a good argument for Arminianism. Not whether or not we necessarily believe it entirely, but why do people believe this? And is that a rational belief? And I think that is, that makes sense because if God is just going up there going, yeah, that doesn't make any sense, right? Um, and again, you could lean into, and they talk about a lot in here, where a lot of Calvinists place God's sovereignty above God's love. Um, and they have a problem with that. So you could say if God's just arbitrarily doing this, then that doesn't necessarily show that he's very loving. He's just sort of like willy-nilly grabbing people into eternity. Yeah, so. and I don't think there's any scripture that implies that his election is random. Because right, I think, and that's he's where not, he does everything of, with purpose. Yeah. You sort of almost have to have a deeper understanding or of what foreknowledge, kind of like what, you know, uh, yeah, like what God's foreknowledge really is, I guess, in a sense to know, you know, if he foreknew you and that's how he elected you, then you would have to understand, well, okay, what does this foreknowledge really mean, you know? And again, I'm not necessarily smart enough to uh, give you that in-depth breakdown right this second, mm -hmm. but again. It's, it's kind of circular to me how he saw into the future that you would believe so he elected you. But then at the same time, faith is a gift from God. So I don't, I know their definition is different than right. our definition. But I think that that's a good argument. I think that you will find a lot of people that are in an Arminian camp that would go, yeah, dude. That's one of the arguments that I have against it. And I think if you wanted to convince them against Arminianism, you would have to face that argument and come up with a logical excuse, right? So Right. Then it wouldn't be unconditional if he saved us because of our faith. Right. Right. Then it would be, be that would be sort of that looking down the corridor of time and being like, Nikki will have faith, so I'll choose her. And Deborah won't, you know. So Yeah. Um, but that's the you, that's unconditional election. And that's kind of his big argument is it's illogical um, in some degree. So then in unconditional, it means there's nothing good. What that really means is there's nothing good in us. Like, like it goes along with total depravity. Right. And it also, and this is why, and he makes the case in here that tulip, it isn't just laid out in tulip because it spells a flower, but they also all build on themselves so you yes. need total depravity to get to unconditional election but you yes. also need unconditional election to eventually end up in preservation of the saints right so you're yes. unconditionally elected which is why you will be preserved um so he does make the case there that like there's a reason they lay these out in a certain order and it's not just so it spells tulip it actually has to flow in that direction mm -hmm. um so the next one here is the l with his, uh, which is limited atonement is what L stands for. So uh, this one I always thought, or I actually thought was really interesting mm -hmm. um, in this book. And again, since we're not really Calvinist, we don't know the intricacies, you know, this was kind of interesting to us. Well, because um, he does make the point that Calvin didn't even agree with, was it this one? Yeah, so he makes a point in there that you know, there's five-point Calvinism, which is probably high Calvinism is what he considers it, or hyper-Calvinism. But then there's also four-point Calvinism. And a lot of those people, they leave the L out. So he kind of makes the case that a lot of Calvinists don't really agree on all five points. 
And you'll find a lot of people that believe in the T, the U, the I, and the P, but they don't believe in limited atonement. And he even makes the case that even John Kelvin didn't believe in limited atonement. Now, I'm not a Kelvin scholar, so I don't know that entirely, but he seems pretty knowledgeable in the points that he made in there. You're like, okay, I'll take your word for it, I guess. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, So let's say what is limited atonement? Yeah, so limited atonement essentially means that Christ didn't die on the cross for the entire world and that his blood doesn't cleanse the sins of the entire world. He died for the elect and his blood cleanses the sins of the elect. That Mm -hmm. atonement is limited to the elect. It's not for everybody on the face of the earth. Right. So So the argument with that is, did like my question would be, did Christ um, pay for those sins in vain because they didn't believe? So why have God's wrath poured out on those sins? And then it's like, his wrath has to be poured out on unbelievers, but their sins were already on Christ on the cross. So that's one of their arguments is sort of that um, if atonement is limited, you're essentially punishing sin twice. Right. Um, That's what doesn't make sense. Which again, me, a very good argument. But there's Calvinists on both sides of that. Right. So that's another point that he makes is that you can find high Calvinists that believe in the L and you can find Calvinist Calvinists that don't. And they're like, yeah, we don't believe. And apparently John Kelvin was one of those who didn't. I think that's really weird. So very interesting. It doesn't make sense. I know I'm not supposed to talk my point, but just to ponder it, like, why would God pour his wrath out on those who rejected Jesus if his wrath was already poured out for those sins cross? Like, it doesn't make sense that they would be experience God's wrath later. Right. And that's, and he I makes the point in here. And it's kind of funny because basically both sides make the same argument about the other side that if you follow Calvinism or Arminianism to its logical conclusion, <clears throat> you wind up in like universalism. Yeah. It's like they both make the same argument against each other that apparently somehow you get to the point where, well, God just saves everybody then. And you're like, how do we get here? Right. <laughs> Do we just become best friends? You can't you know, get so. to that universalism, though. I just feel like limited atonement says, I don't know. I guess I didn't understand that part. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting. So that's the limited atonement piece. Um, and again, that's generally the most hotly debated tulip point, I guess, is that one. So or yeah. the most easily discarded For people. One. Yeah, to yeah, not recognize it. So then the last point here is the I, which is irresistible grace. Um, so irresistible grace is essentially the, uh, I guess, you know, God's power in drawing us unto salvation. So in Calvinism, they're saying God's grace is irresistible. Whom God elects, God calls through mm-hmm. his grace, they will be saved. They have no choice necessarily, right? God his grace will overwhelm them. It's irresistible. Irresistible. Yeah. Um, is, did he discuss, because we took turns like reading a little bit. It was hard to get through. So you read more on that. Did he discuss anything about like a general call and an effectual call on the Calvinist side? He does touch on that briefly. I didn't highlight it or really remember too much of what he was saying on there, but he does highlight 
that there are two calls, the general and the effectual okay, call. Okay. Um, so that's in here if you're interested. Uh, I just kind of pulled out really what his big argument was or one of the arguments. He has a few in there against it, but he kind of makes the point that the argument against this irresistible grace from the Armenian theology assumes, and he sort of says smugly in there, uh, because <laughs> the Bible everywhere assumes that God limits himself out of love so that his initiating, enabling grace is resistible. So Calvinism says his grace is irresistible, and Arminians go, yes, it is, unless he self-limits, which he does. Um, so he sort of limits his grace just enough to where it's pulling you, but you still have the choice to say no and reject his call, essentially. That's the Armenian point of view. So, um, which again, you know, it's, I'm sure they have a lot of arguments that they, again, because this is not an Armenian theology book. So right. there's a lot of arguments that you probably would want to hear that you're not going to hear here. What they're doing is telling you all the arguments for Calvinism and why they're wrong. I feel like it was good they already knew about Calvinism before reading against. Um, I think that was just helpful. I think I would have read that and everything would have been just so over my head. Yeah. And what's funny is this book was, you know, it's not new. It was written in 2011. Um, and what's interesting is, you know, we did all of our podcast reviews on the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And Mark Driscoll got his sort of rise during the young, restless reform movement. <laughs> and that's when this book was being written sort of right at its height of young, restless reform. So he makes a lot of references to the young, restless reform movement, which all these years later, we're looking back on now. We're kind of like, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, sort of knockoffs yeah. in there. So it's just kind of funny reading it now, having done what we've done. And we still don't know a lot about young, restless reform. but. He doesn't mention Driscoll at all, but he does mention uh, Piper is one of his main ones. Mm -hmm. R.C. Sproul, he mentions mm -hmm. a lot in there. So um, those are the tulip points in sort of the point counterpoint to Calvinism and Arminianism. So mm -hmm. I did just pull out a few ideas that he brought up in here that I thought those are good ideas and I agree with. The first one really has nothing to do with Calvinism or, or Armenianism per se, but just humans. So um, he does make the point here that um, the modern Calvinist, and again, he's sort of referencing young, restless, reformed Calvinist, but I, it's still a lot of what you experience today. Um, he says basically in, a, in, a, in essence that they're smug and arrogant. And I would agree with that 100%. You know, we follow a couple of like reformed Christian pages and on Facebook and stuff. And there's a whole lot of like really sort of arrogant or smug, like, oh, if you guys, what do you believe in? Like free will? <laughs> Haven't you heard of election? And you're like, oh, you mean that Christian doctrine that's been around since the beginning of Christianity? Like how cool that you just found it, right? Um. So they do turn you off quite a bit. I mean, even for us who agree with, in a many sense, you still hear mm -hmm. or see people post and you're like, all right, dude, like we as Christians should not be striving to like insult and ridicule other Christians yeah. into believing what you believe. I'm pretty sure that has a 0% chance of converting anybody. Because it's, 
Yeah, because it's against other Christians. And it's like, if you're arguing with an unbeliever just with the gospel, you don't talk arrogantly like no. that. You're not going to win them over. And we just, yeah, we're supposed to be humble and think of others as like talk and love. I get it. And I see the arrogant thing in every subject, but and I'm for sure brothers and sisters us. to be like that toward each other, it's really sad. Yeah, I just, you, yeah, I'm sure there's the other side who can be arrogant as well, but I noticed a lot more on the reform side that like, Ugh. I think especially, like you said, like the radical reform, like they found some new thing. Like, yeah, that's how a lot of these Christians are when they're like, oh, I have this new, this secret knowledge, you know, with all the conspiracy theories and King James only and all those kinds of things. And there's arrogance with that. Like, you know, something. And yeah. Didn't you learn about the King James translation? You're like, oh, here we go. <laughs> so that was kind of the first point. Again, nothing doctrinal. Just a very astute uh, observation there by the author. And the second one, um, as we kind of mentioned before, just the wide variety of Calvinists that are out there, three point, four point, five point. And he even makes the note in there, and I heard it mentioned recently on our Christian podcast, Community Brethren, the idea that, you know, we kind of use Reformed and Calvinist interchangeably a lot of times, but they are not at all. Um, the same thing, you know, they can be, they can line up in some respects, but there's a wide range of reformed Christians from that have a lot of different doctrinal beliefs and Calvinists have a lot of different doctrinal beliefs. So yeah, yeah, you can't really just go, well, I'm reformed. And they're like, sure. What does that mean? You're like, I don't know. Well, just like, you don't know what someone means when they say they're a Christian. (laughs) Right. I mean, so that's more than just a Calvinist thing. That's a Christian thing. Yeah. But it's a good point. Very astute. Um, There's a lot of variation inside of that belief system. Yeah. It's good to know that there is. I'm glad that we read that and weren't thinking, oh, we know it all. Because I know I don't know it all. Well, also, it would go against that smugness, too, where like you're smug, but then you realize... Yeah, you actually share a lot of the same beliefs with these Armenians that you are like yeah. looking down your nose at. And you're like, yeah, we agree on like 95% of the stuff that you're talking about. And you're like, but what about the 5%? Like, okay, all right, whatever. So well, that was something I wanted to make sure um, I brought up. The main thing with hyper-Calvinism, which is one of the first things I heard about Calvinism, which I used to think all Calvinists believed um, well, didn't believe in sharing the gospel because they were thinking, oh, well, they're elect. They're just going to be saved. But they're saved by hearing the gospel. Like, we're still supposed to share the gospel. So I just want to put it out there. We are not hyper, if we're going to call us Calvinists, whatever you want to. <laughs> I don't like giving labels, but I don't believe that way. We know people are saved by hearing the gospel, preaching the gospel is very important so right and that's a good argument against calvinism if that's your view on it then that would be a, a very yeah. good argument that like yeah i mean hyper calvinism what's the point of even sharing the gospel you know but i think those and were the ones good argument. it started in you said it said grand rapids michigan mm-hmm. so i'm like how funny just like two hours from where we grew up it was a very calvinist area that we were unaware of and I guess in 
just anybody we knew, that's probably all they knew of Calvinism was that, oh, they don't believe in preaching the gospel because there's just elect people out there and they don't need to worry about saving souls. They just sit back and believe they're elect. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if that was the case, if that's what they believed, you'd have a good argument against them. Yeah, that. I um, mean, just reading scripture, you know, like you're supposed to preach the gospel. That is how people are saved is by hearing the gospel. So, right. Like, why even go and be a missionary then? Like, they think no point in having a missionary. Um, yeah, so I thought that was the best um, point. The, yeah. You know, most important one I'd agree with there in the book. Yeah, I would agree. And again, he focused a lot on hyper-Calvinism or high-Calvinism, whatever it is. So, um, and that's where most of his arguments came against was high-Calvinism. Yeah. But... One other point that I'll make note on this, and it was kind of to our disappointment here, really. Um, and maybe it shouldn't have been because maybe this is the main argument by and large for all Armenians against Calvinism. But he spent probably three fourths of the book talking about one point, essentially, and that is mm -hmm. that following Calvinism to its logical conclusion, you reach a point where. God is responsible and the author of evil and sin. So that's where it has to lead you to. And I'll just pull one quote here. I mean, again, it was almost three quarters of the book was leading to that point. But he says, taken to their logical conclusion that even hell and all who will suffer there eternally are foreordained by God. God is thereby rendered morally ambiguous at best and a moral monster at worst. So that's kind of his big point mm -hmm. against Calvinism by and large is this is all you're saying. Then God's the author and the, you know, purveyor of sin and evil. And that makes God a monster, which you got a good argument there if that's the case. So, um, and again, that might be the number one argument for Armenianism. And if that's the case, then yeah, maybe you would spend three fourths of a book writing about that. So, uh, but we didn't expect that. So that kind of called it. We kept reading it and we're like, all right. I was right, like, dude. did I, didn't I just read this page? And I'm like, I swear I made a note on this. Yeah. And it was like, back, reading like the same. Oh my gosh. It was like, really, that was a long stretch. It was a lot. And then it was kind of sprinkled throughout the other points as well. And you're like, okay. Um, I get it. Yeah. That that's his biggest concern. And I think that's something important to talk about. Um, you know, and we're going to have to get to that point on the next episode because that was his main point. We should discuss it. Right, we will. Um, and then the last point that I thought he made a really good argument on, and it's one that I've had myself, um, a question. And he makes the point on, he talks about this verse, and he's like, no Calvinist ever discusses this verse. And it's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 11. So I'll just read what he has here. Um, he says, in all my reading of Calvinist and anti-Calvinist literature, I have not run across any mention of 1 Corinthians 8.11, even though this single verse seems to contradict it. Talk about Calvinism. There Paul writes to the Christian who insists on flaunting his freedom to eat meat in a pagan temple, even in sight of Christians who have weaker conscience and might thereby stumble. So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. Clearly, Paul is issuing a dire warning to those of strong faith to avoid offending the conscience of their weaker brother and sister. 
His warning is uh, that by exercising Christian liberty from legalism too publicly, a strong Christian might actually cause a person loved by God for whom Christ died to be destroyed. And I think that's a good point because there are other verses, you know, we read in James where he talks about, you know, those who, you know, bring a brother back who's gone astray or whatever, you save a soul. Um, Mm -hmm. We hear about, you know, you know, removing people from the church, Paul writes, that you would shame them and bring them back into right alignment. So we get these Mm -hmm. ideas that if people are led astray, you can help correct them and bring them back so that they don't get off the narrow path. Um, And that's a strong argument because the Calvinist point of view would, you know, maybe say that, well, no, they're elect and they'll never leave the narrow path. So again, you go to the hyper Calvinist point of view and it's like, I'm not saying anything because he'll be there in the end anyway. So what's the point? If it's interpreted that way, wouldn't that go against perseverance of the saints? Well, yes. And that's a confusing one too, that, you know, that he would say most Armenians agree with perseverance of the saints because you're like, yeah, but I mean, I I guess if you're going with the once saved, always saved is your platform, but, but God does correct his children. He does that through other brothers and sisters to go after one another because the body of Christ cares for itself. We're supposed to judge one another and bring each other back. I mean, we're told, like, if a brother falls away, then then do this. Or if they're sinning, like, right. that's just the way God goes after his children. But I think his interpretation, and again, if his translation of the word or whatever of destroyed is correct. I was wondering it's talking on that. about Yeah. No, it means he's he's off of salvation. He's no longer saved. He's been destroyed because you flaunted your liberty and he was too weak for it. Yeah, but it doesn't okay. mean he can't repent come back i don't know i'm gonna have to look that one up well then you get into the whole you know hebrew six right where once they've sort of it's impossible to renew them again to repentance yeah well maybe they cause their brother to sin but that doesn't mean they cause them to walk away from the faith right and we'd have to look more into that verse and you know all the translation and stuff like that but i think it's a good point for an armenian to say okay well it is a good point yes why even mention anything? Let them go as wild and crazy as they want, because if they're saved, they're saved. But and that's the cares? same argument with not preaching the gospel. Right. And if they're going to be saved, they're going to be saved. It's like, no, you share the gospel with them and you disciple them and you be careful of how you appear and what you're doing around them. Like it's a continuous process. They're saved and there's the work, the body sharpening each other. Yeah. I mean, I would say we don't preach the gospel necessarily to save the souls we preach the gospel because we're commanded to preach the gospel and we follow god's we help each other persevere but i just it's a good point if that word means you'd be destroyed you can fall away if james is saying you bring a brother back which means he was gone and you bring him back yeah then you would say yeah that means they can go from being saved to unsaved and then unless you bring them back they're off well, that's all the hell, sovereignty so. of god too and looking after his own sheep like there's a lot that encompasses right. that it's a good point though i thought you know there's an argument there something worth you could probably have a good debate about that yeah, I and think i'm sure so. people have so um 
Do you have any last points? That's all we really got from this book. Again, there's yes. a thousand <laughs> notes written in here and you know, we may oh, bring up some of them um, in our next week or the following week when we discuss these again. But do you have any last points that you want to bring up about against Calvinism or just anything we've talked about today? We're not going to have time for you to flip through <laughs> the diaper book. I brought it up to a friend today. I brought it up to you too. Um, I'll just have to paraphrase it. I don't know. I don't know how much I read today. But... um. He says, it was just something I really disagreed with. I didn't like that. He said, I, I like to think, or something like that. I like to think God is in charge, but he's not in control. I thought, you like to think, or you like to view him that way? Like, is he just in charge and, you know, and we can choose to obey every command or not? Or is he really in control? Right. And I thought, I, I like knowing that God is sovereign over his creation and that everything he does. And, and well, but he... I guess we would both make the same argument of it doesn't matter what you like. It's what the scriptures say, right? Yes. And that's... if I like to know that he's in control and you like to know he's in charge, doesn't really make a difference. If scripture backs one or the other, then we just got to get comfortable with that one. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's weird to say that, I guess. It sounds weird to me to be like, I just want him to be in charge, not in control. Like, I want him to control my heart. I want him to make my desires, my will, his will, his desires. If he's just in charge, then I'm going to really be struggling to follow him. Well, and that's why so many struggle to follow him. Maybe. So, yeah. Yeah, that's all we really have on Against Calvinism. Again, we're open to hear you guys' points. Again, we're not theologians. We aren't, you know, studied up on all Calvinist doctrines. So we're happy to have a discussion. But keep in mind, you know, if you really want to get into the nuts and bolts of Calvinism and Arminianism, you're going to have to go somewhere else. We'll point you to um, a, a better, you know, I'm going to seminary. So come find me in seven years when I finish it. And maybe I'll be able to have a better argument with you. But um, I'll do my best. But again, I'm not partial i'm not gonna like lose friends arguing for something mm -mm. because by and large i think you know i fall back on the uh the charles spurgeon where he says he detests wesley's doctrines but he wholeheartedly believes he's in heaven mm -hmm. and if they needed a new apostle john wesley's the new apostle they should pick so you know I'm not going to be like, you're Armenian. Oh, you're going to hell. You know, what do you No, I'll be like, oh, that's interesting. I, I look at that differently. These are, these are all deep things to ponder. And I honestly never even knew. I never considered them until like three, four like, years ago. It is weird to be like, we're going to be in these huge disagreements. And I don't know how many people do, but like most of this is we're arguing about what happens behind the curtain. Yeah. You know, because yeah. If you're a true Bible-believing, Bible follower, again, we should both be preaching the gospel. We should both be leading and teaching others to walk according to his commands. And then we're just being like, I wonder what God's doing behind the scenes. And you're like, oh, if you don't know he's doing this, then you're going to hell. And you're like, what? I know. If you don't know he's, well, you know. There's we, just so much in scripture to seek out. But I do think out. you can you find out. I don't like the argument of like, well, some of it's just a mystery. There is mystery. 
but not all, you know, I think that's a lazy argument to just be like the mysteries of God. Okay. Well, if it's in his word, it's for us to understand. Yes. Um, so just because we don't understand it doesn't mean we should just give up and be like, that's the mystery. Well, a lot of things in God's word were hidden because if they had known, you know, understood the prophecies in the old Testament, they would never have crucified Jesus. So they're all they're They were hidden, you know? It had to be hidden. Yeah, I just mean, like, for us today, we have the fully revealed, you know, truth of God. I mean, we still argue about eschatology, though. It's like, that's not all played out. It's funny, I had uh, (laughs) one of the guys at church, you know, I was getting up, and the other guy didn't show up with me, so I had the whole sermon, you know, on my own. And right before we started, he's like, hey, man, can I ask you a question? I was like, yeah, what's up? And he's like, it's about revelation. I was like, nope. <laughs> I was like, you can ask, but I was like, you know, I'm sure I'll have the one answer that no one in the history of Christian church has been able to what nail did he, down. So. Did he ask you or you just sort of like, no, no, he asked. It was about the, uh, the 10 horns. Oh gosh. And the three horns. And I was like, look here. No, isn't know, that in Daniel? Yeah. No. Well, Oh, no, maybe Revelation. Okay. I was yeah, thinking. Yeah. So maybe. it was funny. I was like, don't ask me. <laughs> oh my goodness. But, uh, yeah, I mean, but we should seek these things out. and Yeah, we're, we're told to seek things out. Ask, uh, seek, knock. Those are the things we're supposed to ask for. For where it leads you. Don't be like, no, I believe in free will and I don't give a darn about Calvinism or I believe in Calvinism. I don't No, I'll just look into it. Talk to other people, right? Yeah. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. So, um for our sermon topic this week, in the uh, light of being against Calvinism, I will be truthful. I did not listen to this. I've only heard this fellow's name in passing. Who is it? So if it's atrocious, I apologize. But his name is Mike Winger, and it is a biblical ejection to Calvinism. So um, he's kind of well known. I mean, he's fairly well known. Is you know he's got seven hundred fourteen thousand views on this. So well, that's three years ago. That's uh, that's going to be our sermon recommendation. Maybe hear some other objections to Calvinism, if that is your fancy, I guess. But, Maybe um, it's just hyper-Calvinism he's talking about. And it may be. Again, I didn't... Yeah. Oh, you know what? I didn't even actually pull up here. Sorry. Let me show you what we're seeing here. Oh. A biblical yeah. objection to Calvinism by Mike Winger. So before you listen to it, know that there are different types of Calvinism. Right. So he doesn't lump everyone just together. Right. Yeah. And and again, we didn't listen to it. So forgive us for that. You know, we were kind of scrambling at the last minute to find a sermon. And I was like, you can look up anyone and listen. Well, and there's a lot of good sermons (laughs) on there by a lot of good people, but they were all like Armenianism versus Calvinism or that. And I just thought, you know, I just want something on either objecting to one or in pot. It's kind of actually hard to find a full fledged just in favor of Armenianism sermon there's all over the place calvinism or maybe that's just my youtube algorithm but um yeah give that a listen to if you want or don't it's your life but we will um be back tomorrow with sort of our special episode and then monday we'll be back with the daily devotionals and following up next saturday with for calvinism See what sort of arguments they have in that book that makes sense to us. But that is all we got. God bless.
Attention shoppers, we now have taste in the bread aisle. Dave's Killer Bread. That's right, an organic bread that's no longer a sedative for your taste buds. Dave's Killer Bread is on a mission to make the most of the loaf, to rid the world of GMOs, high fructose corn syrup, and artificial ingredients, and plant the seeds of good in all that they bake. Killer taste, killer texture, and always organic. Dave's Killer Bread. Bread amplified.